Hi everyone, welcome back to the Quantum Heart Cafe. I hope you have had a wonderful weekend and a really nice start to your week. And apologies for being late, I guess. I think I just have to come to terms that maybe I'm a slow reader right now. Uh, I did finish the book, but I didn't finish it in time for Sunday. And because I only had maybe a chapter and a half left of this swiftly tilting planet, that I decided to just finish reading the book and then I just maybe ho have the show a couple days later or something like that because I just, I don't know, I just felt like it's may as well just finish the book and then, you know, if my show is a few days late, then that's okay. Uh, you know, I got to learn to be gentle with myself. i not the fastest reader, but I try and be thorough and as soon as something, I read something and like it, it clicks or it resonates, then I try and, and write it down or, or think about it and review or reflect upon what I'm reading. And of course tonight, and before I get into talking about Madeline Engel's third book in the Time Quartet series, uh, Swiftly Tilting Planet, I do want to just do, uh, you know, pause for a moment for a, a bit of gratitude. And I just want to say thank you very much to uh, all the the people that have brought food to the, my table. I mean, I buy out of a grocery. I don't have my own garden or, any, or a means to produce my own food. I will change that in the future. Uh, but for now, I just want to acknowledge the many hands that brought the food uh, to my table and just to acknowledge all the people uh, the beauty and wonderment in the world and how precious the beauty is and to hold on to the beauty and just the, the gratitude of the magic that is found in everyday life. Uh, I mean, sometimes life can be a real, you know, pain in the butt. There are, but while it's a pain in the butt, that's only half a truth. There is, as the other half is that there is a lot of beauty in the world and there's a lot of love and joy and it just depends maybe it depends on which side we feed do we feed you know sorrow and um pain or maybe that's not that's the wrong thing because not everyone has a choice in that maybe the best thing is you know do we feed and it's actually kind of relates to what's in the book today you know do we feed hatred or do we feed love do we feed the path of love or do we feed the path of hatred uh and it kind of reminds me of uh in robin wall kimmer's book braiding sweetgrass which i talked about last week um you know we can we can be aware of the darkness but we don't have to feed it we can feed the light so i mean i think it's important to be aware of the darkness and then to choose to feed our own inner light. And I think that comes with finding our joy and, and feeding that joy. It really does change the way our perception of the world when we kind of start tending to our own gardens, our own hearts and our own gardens within. And I also have some my, my decaf coffee tonight and I added a little bit of hot chocolate that I received as a beautiful gift from a friend of mine and so I mixed it in and so I'm having some heartfelt mocha um, coffee from as a gift that I received from my mom 
with some hot chocolate that I was gifted from a friend and just to make a beautiful blend of mocha goodness for tonight's episode. And so, like I said, for tonight, I'm going to be talking about Madeline Engel's third book in the uh, Time Quartet, uh, which is A Swiftly Tilting Planet. And I really enjoyed this book just as much as I enjoyed the first two. Uh, and it's a bit different from the first two. Uh, the first two, uh, the first book involved Charles Wallace and Meg Murray, uh, the brothers, brother and sister, going and uh, rescuing their father. And Charles is uh, captured by this planetary brain called It, and Meg has to go and and save her brother. And then in the in the second book, you had uh, Charles Wallace was in trouble again. Only it was his this time it was his his mitochondria. And for you don't know maybe maybe you don't remember much about biology, but the mitochondria, they're the powerhouse of the cells. And I again I I wonder if Madeline Engel had her um, you know she was I wonder how aware she was of what's going on in the world right now. And if she provided a lot of messages of hope and love in her books, uh, because um, a few episodes back I did a review of a book called *Invisible Rainbow*, and in that book it was you know it was by Arthur Furstenberg, and he spoke about how electricity and electromagnetic radiation caused by electricity, especially wireless microwaves and 5G, are damaging our mitochondria and our mitochondria is having a hard time uh, being able to produce energy for our blood because they're being inhibited by all this radiation produced by electricity and you know just like in the the second book Charles Wallace was suffering from uh, a lot of slowness um, like you know lack of energy you know he had a hard time even walking up a hill and I know a lot of us are going through a, a lot of health problems, and it always is, isn't always about diet. Um, you know, diet's part of it, but a lot of it has to do with energy and electromagnetic radiation. And so, in the second book, Meg uh, goes on a journey to save her brother's mitochondria by traveling into the little world, the micro world, and uh, helping the Ferrandoli um, mature and and take on their 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 destiny sort of speak so and in this third book so Meg and Charles Wallace return they're older now so Meg is a grown woman and she's married Calvin so it kind of saw that saw that uh from the first book where she first met Calvin and they became friends and then over time they became a husband and wife and she was uh, expecting her first baby and then Charles Wallace is uh, 15 and, you know, the Mr. and Mrs. Murray, they're still in the book, but they're older. And then the twins, Sandy and Denny, who have been, they kind of been more so in the background in the first two books. They take a more uh, prominent role in the second book, or sorry, in the third book. Uh, but then the, the main focus, though, is on Charles Wallace. And what happens is that um, Mr. Murray receives a phone call from the president saying that this, I guess he's maybe a, a dictator or like a leader of a country in a place called Vespuga. I, 
uh, I can't recall what country he's in, but it's a Vespuga, and his name is Brenzilo, and he has threatened to bomb the Western world because he's had he's had it up to here with Western Empire, and he wants to just get rid of everything and destroy all life. And then you meet, uh, and also in the book, you meet uh, Calvin's mother, Mrs. O'Keefe. And Mrs. O'Keefe looks at Charles, because in the story, in the first three books, is alluded to quite a bit that Charles Wallace has special abilities. He's got a heightened sem- sense of empathy. He has the ability for telepathy. It's called Keith, I think Keithing, where he can, he does it with Meg. He can, uh, you know, share thoughts and feelings with Meg and they can speak to each other through telepathy. But in the book, um, Madeline Engel calls it uh, Keithing or Kithing. I'm going to call it Keithing and if I mispronounce it, apologies. And so he has these unique abilities and Mrs. O'Keefe knows this. She kind of senses it about him. And as soon as uh, she has the threat from Branzillo, she looks at Charles Wallace and she says, Chuck, you're it. You're the one who has to stop this. And she gives him uh, St. Patrick's Ruin, uh, which is an old Irish ruin, but it also looks like it's uh, part of Welsh as well, like that whole area. Like it may even be older than uh, Catholicism. Uh, but he gives her this ruin, and uh, Charles Wallace says this ruin, which is, uh, I'll just read it out because it's really amazing ruin, and and he says it throughout the book, uh, whenever he kind of uh, finds himself in trouble. Um, in this faithful hour, I place all heaven with its power, and the sun with its brightness, and the snow with its whiteness, and the fire with all the strength of it it hath, and the lightning with its rapid wrath, and the winds with their swiftness along its path and the sea with its deepness, and the rocks with their steepness, and the earth with its, with its darkness. All these I place my, by God, God's almighty help and grace between myself and the powers of darkness. And so May, or um, Mrs. O'Keefe, who's Calvin's mother, says this to Charles Wallace, and he knew that he had to say this ruin and... Uh, so he went out to a stargazing rock, which is a place out by where he, he lives, where he goes to stargaze. And he says the ruin, and he's met by... Uh, uh, it's kind of like this creature. It's like a, a unicorn and a pegasus, but put together. So it's a winged horse with a unicorn horn, and his name is... Uh, and again, I'm, I tried to find the pr- proper pronunciation on the internet and I couldn't find it. So if I say his name, uh, mispronounce his name or any of the names in this book, cause some of them, I'm not sure about their pronunciation. Um, uh, Gador, Gador. I'm going to call him Gador. I don't know if that's his, uh, you properly pronounce his name, but he's kind of like a, a winged horse and he and Charles Wallace travel through time to find something called a, what might have been, so it's a moment in history where there is like a, a crossroads, there is a path, and someone could either choose door number A or door B. Door A being a path of peace and door B being a path of uh, destruction. 
And so Charles Wallace and Godore travel throughout history to find this what ha- this uh, what might have been. And they first start with um, here on Turtle Island before uh, Europeans sh- came. They they visited the indigenous people that were living in that land because it's not so much where but when Charles travels. So Charles goes back before uh, Europeans showed up. And he goes within a boy named uh, Herschel. And when I say it goes within, it's kind of like telepathy and key thing, but it's deeper than that. Like he he goes into that person's being and he almost becomes that person. And so he starts off with this little boy named Herschel. And he, you know, he, he learns that, you know, indigenous people lived in balance with nature and they're very loving uh, and kind people. And he kept Herschel from seeing uh, a violence being perpetrated by another uh, indigenous nation. And, and, and so that kind of sets him off on this journey where as he travels through time, he, sh- he shows up in the same point in terms of like where that uh, stargazing rock where he started. But the times are different, so he experiences different moments and different uh, or key moments in history and where the people and the the people change but the place stays the same if you kind of catch my drift um and then in, and then the next period he jumps to with Gador he sees uh it's a bit after it's before European colonization um, but there have been contact. There has been contact with Europeans, and it's with the Welsh. So two Welsh brothers who were um, descended from a king got sick of Europe, and they decided to come to the new world, to Turtle Island, because they wanted to escape the violence in Europe, where they saw brothers turning against each other. And when they got here, uh, they got separated, and Madoc, who was the who the story is kind of, or who Charles Wallace uh, kind of goes within, uh, he believes that his brother, uh, uh, Grier, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call him Grier. I Again, I'm so sorry with the if I mispronounced the name. Uh, but he goes within uh, Madoc and finds that Madoc is, has integrated with the people of the Wind, which is the indigenous tribe, uh, th- at the time and he's learning you know he wants to have peace and harmony and he's settling in with the new with the people of the wind and integrating with them and he uh, is going to marry one of the daughters and, and have children uh, but then he finds out that his brother is alive because he hears these war drums coming uh, from a distance uh, just before his wedding day and he sees his brother on the boat, and so, but his brother isn't the same. His brother, uh, Gwider, I'm so sorry, Gwyer, I'm going to call him Gwyer. His brother Gwyer is kind of overcome with greed and, uh, you know, malice. Like he shows up with a crown, whereas Madoc isn't wearing a crown. 
and he wants to kind of call himself king and and take Madoc's bride and all this stuff. And Madoc is just like, "Why? No, like we, you know, I, I just want peace. Why are you doing this?" And they they end up fighting, and uh, and Guire ends up traveling. He leaves the people of the wind, and he ends up traveling south to um, Vespuga, which is where Branzillo is from. So ancestry is really important, and how the different timeline and different events feed into each other is really important in this book. And and so then you kind of have this overarching theme where there's a choice between peace and love and which is kind of embodied in Maddox, Maddox uh, ancestral line. And then you have uh, more of maliciousness and greed and destruction, which is kind of inherent in, Guire's line, ancestral line, and that theme is present is present throughout the rest of the book as Charles travels through time to find that what might have been, and and he's not uh, unobstructed. Uh, so the Ikthroi, which were the they were featured in the first book, and they were the dark-sided entities that were attacking the mitochondria and attacking galaxies, and they came back in this book and they were attacking. Uh, the timelines. They were trying to shift the timelines, and they did it through the wind. So as so, Gador and Charles travels. They travel through time via wind, and sometimes. And then they would have the Ikthroi, uh trying to knock Charles off of Gador and separate them. And um, and part of the reason why is because Charles Wallace was trying to control where the wind goes and where Ghidorah goes instead of just kind of letting the wind guide him. And so the Ikthorai were easier. It was easier for them to find Charles Wallace and Ghidorah. Um, so that was kind of interesting because I, I thought about, it made me think about destiny and how we're always trying to control our destiny, but how much can we really control? And then what happens if we just kind of give give part of that up to the universe and start listening to synchronicities around us and you know, kind of going with those, you know, does the universe have a better plan than we do? I maybe, or maybe it's being co-creators, you know, and like still creating a life we want, but just also learning to listen to the synchronicities and the words of wisdom that the universe offers us along our journey so that we can, we can kind of fulfill what we're supposed to do here when we reincarnate on earth. So it kind of, that little part of the book made me think about that. And Charles Wallace did that in the first book too. He, he kind of got ahead of himself um, and overestimated his abilities and ended up getting captured by the, um, the planetary computer in the first book. So he, he can do that sometimes. He's very loving, very caring and compassionate person, but that is one of his, um downfalls is that he kind of he can become commanding and and demanding and stuff rather than just letting things kind of go and play out uh which i i thought was kind of interesting so in the near the end of the book you learn more about um uh, mrs o'keefe and how mrs o'keefe is actually a descendant of the maddock blood bloodline and you learn, and it's through Mrs. O'Keefe that 
I mean, not only did Charles Wallace receive the ruin, he also discovers what the might have been a moment in history is because, you know, he he finds these letters and he finds out that uh, this woman has a choice to marry someone from the Maddock line or someone from the Guire line. And whatever choice she makes will determine the fate of Branzillo, like the fate of the of the world in the present time. And I don't want to go too much into it because I think that it's a really good book and I encourage you to read it. But he he kind of helps to um, kind of guide the choice, the woman's choice towards a more peaceful and loving future by choosing to marry into the Maddox line rather than the Grier line. And... When she makes that choice, it's like time and the present changes. And it's these little changes. And it's interesting because I've often heard this from other people that they've noticed changes in our timeline. Like, uh, it's been said that the powers that shouldn't be like to alter the timelines and like to mess around with timelines. And people notice this by small subtle changes like the uh i think there was a change with the aunt jemima syrup bottle or something that people start noticing even i've noticed some ripples and I, I'm, not, I'm not sure if it's because i for maybe i forgot something or if it's actually been a change in the timeline but yeah i've just heard of people noticing small these really weird small changes and i've heard that's because um the powers that shouldn't be are messing around with timelines. So because Charles Wallace changed the what might have been, he altered the timeline. And so instead of being a destructive dictator, at the end, Branzillo is a man of peace. And he uh, you know, is discussing uh, peace treaties and looking after the ecosystems and so on. And he doesn't you know, wish to drop bombs on anyone. So this whole book made me think about time. And time is kind of a theme that's been coming up in my life recently. And it's just understanding timelines and how um, we can kind of, or these what have might have been moments. And I think we're in a what might have been moment now, like this crossroad where we can decide as human beings if we want to go down a path of destruction, which I think these technocratic people want to take us down with, you know, AI and robotics and, you know, them wanting to rule this stupid metaverse. Or we can choose a different path of love and peace, and that does involve a path of reconciliation. And I really appreciate that... Um, you know, Mandolin Engel kind of has that reconciliation in her book um, because she does in one part where Charles Wallace, in one period where Charles Wallace travels to, you know, there is the, you know, Madeline Engel does kind of through her story talk about how like, you know, Christian missionaries and so on, when they came here, you know, they they did their best to 
convert indigenous people and, you know, take their children, take their land, you know, call them awful names like heathens and savages when they're, they weren't, they were peaceful for the most part. I mean, I don't know all the history, but for, I mean, they lived in balance with nature. They understood balance with nature. They, for the most part, I mean, I imagine they had conflicts with each other, but for the most part, they figured, <clears throat> they figured out peaceful solutions to uh, any sort of issues. And, you know, they weren't savages or any of those things. They were human beings. And, um, you know, the early European colonizers came here and, you know, I mean, not all of them. I mean, there were some that intermarried, and, and that that theme is in the book as well. Uh, but a lot of, like, Christians and kind of Puritans and stuff like that, like, you know, those real, like, the missionaries and stuff really came here and just, um, you know, committed a genocide. It happened, you know. And, I mean, her book doesn't talk about the genocide so much, but it definitely kind of alludes to that and alludes to the the mistrust and the um you know the bigotry and so on that the christian mis missionaries had towards uh, indigenous people and also towards uh people that they called witches which are maybe anyone with like a a gift or anybody who was good with healing herbs or something. They, they they looked upon those people as demons or something. It was so silly. So um, I really appreciate that, you know, Madeline Engel included elements of that in her book and elements of what happened because I think it's an important part of history to understand, especially if we, you know, as people want to achieve, eventually have recon have reconciliation and eventually have peace with each other you know true peace and friendship but we're not taking uh or anything like that but we're living side by side um you know as a sovereign as sovereign nations together and i think part of that part of that happening will come from definitely understanding ancestry and understanding time and how what our ancestors do in the past kind of reverberates in the present moment now. And then what we do will uh, reverberate for our, our descendants down, you know, if we decide to, as we have children and, and pass on our ancestral lineage to them. So what we do now has a, a, a is tremendously important. We're all important. And especially right now with this unique crossroads that we're at right now you know if you're listening to this your choice and your choices and what you decide to feed where you decide to put your energy and your thoughts matter and you can put them towards a path of healing and reconciliation and love or we can put them towards a path of destruction i really don't see how they can coexist with each other and I mean, we can be aware of the path of destruction, kind of like how what Robin Wall Kimmer said in Braiding Sweetgrass, but we can choose not to feed that and choose to put our energy elsewhere. You know, we can put our ener loving energy towards ourselves and build ourselves up. We can put 
loving energy towards our communities and learn to heal ourselves and the, our communities and you know look after and be good stewards of the land we have that we're capable of doing that and that's where I really feel um I, I'm really starting to feel a particular fondness for Madeline Engel's books because at the heart of them is love and just like in the first book and the second book and even in this one love is what at the end of the day love is what makes a difference love is what makes a difference between the path of life and the path of destruction and you know I'm not saying that we have no destruction because I think life and death are important parts of each other but there's just it's weird it's like they're technocrats in this world right now really want to take us down this really weird road of, of too much destruction like too much <laughs> you know like as out of whack with nature like we naturally life and death are naturally part of each other um but they're supposed to be in balance they're not supposed to have too much death and destruction or this weird worship of uh death and destruction and, and war and weapons and stuff like that that's not supposed to be to me that's a symptom of a sickness it's not um a loving warm soul or a loving warm path to go down so um i think it's really important to think about these things and to think about and understand what's going on with uh this push towards the fourth industrial revolution this push towards digital ID and blockchain because and 5G and so on because that's like the those are the bricks to this uh, screwed up yellow brick road that these people want to take us down and we don't have to we don't have to go with them we don't have to cooperate it's as simple as non-cooperation we just don't participate with it and and we choose differently and I don't know what that path of love is going to look like, but I think we can figure it out together. And you know, we can't really leave it to experts because most experts don't know what's going on or they're they're all for this technocracy. Um, you know, it's going to be us every regular heartfelt everyday folks like us that makes these decisions. So with that being said, um Actually, no, I want to add one more thing. So what I also found interesting about the dynamic between Maddock and uh, uh, Guire, his brother, is I, I've started learning a bit more about ancient civilizations. Like I've already been learning about Kemet, which is currently called Egypt. Uh, but there was two other civilizations that have just began to become aware of, and it's Lemuria and Atlantis and I got a book on Lemuria and Atlantis which I'm going to read uh, for next week I don't know if I'll have a chance to finish the whole book but maybe what I'll do is I'll do it part one and part two if I don't get a chance to to read all of it and uh, from what I understand I mean yes Lemuria I think uh, through natural causes the island sunk I could be wrong um and Lemuria was supposedly located off the Pacific Ocean. And then you had Atlantis, which was, I think, the Atlantic Ocean. And both of them sank. 
but from what I understand, the Atlant- Atlanteans and Lemurians were kind of at odds with each other. And the Lemurians were more peacemakers and um, more had more like egalitarian, like loving culture, whereas Atlantis was more kind of di- more of like a into like imperial powers and technology. Lemuria had technology, but it was different. I think they worked a lot with crystals. So I'm going to start doing a series of that because that relationship between Maddock and his brother Guire kind of reminded me of the relationship between Lemuria and Atlantis, and I really want to explore that. So I thought that was an interesting thread. I don't know if Madeline Engel was aware of Lemuria and Atlantis, one person that spoke about Lemuria quite a bit was Edgar Casey, and if you don't know who he was, he was a called the Sleeping Prophet. He had the gift of prophecy and foresight. So when he would sleep and he would go into these trance, and then he would provide people with information, and a lot of uh, and people ended up writing it down because he. Uh, provided so much so that's why they call him the sleeping prophet because when he went to sleep that's when all the information came to him uh, including information about Lemuria and Atlantis so the book I'm reading isn't it's not by Edgar Cayce uh, but you know maybe I'll I'll search around some of the used bookstores uh, and see if I can find a, a book on Atlantis by Edgar Casey, but this one isn't, it's not by Edgar Casey, it's by a different researcher. Um, but that's what I'm going to be working on uh, for next week. And with all that being said, I, I hope <clears throat> this podcast encourages you to go to your local library or go to your local uh, bookstore or used bookstore and uh, read A Swiftly Tilting Planet. Or read read the first one if you haven't heard of Madeline Engel's books. And just start reading and looking up this information for yourself. There's so much out there. And uh, it's, a lot, it's pretty exciting stuff. I mean, I find it pretty exciting. And there's so much to learn and there's so much to do. And I can't stress enough how important it is to read. Read books and learn, learn about physics. Learn about... Uh, quantum physics, learn about history, mythology, all these things, all these subjects are important. Uh, and you can get them, all these books are available at our, our, our libraries and used bookstores. So, um, you know, let's keep those libraries alive. And I, I don't know how they are with like COVID or in, or the Rona, I should say. Um, but let's keep our libraries alive. Let's keep the small bookstores alive and let's educate and read and, and have coffee and and practice some gratitude and reciprocity and with all that being said i hope everyone has a beautiful week and a wonderful uh, weekend and i will talk to you all next week and thank you for stopping by the cafe take care bye-bye <laughs>